The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello, I'm Susan Olson, Vice President of Government Relations at Natixis Investment Managers, and I'm happy to say the wait is finally over. The Department of Labor has released its final regulation for ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Investing, in retirement plans. As expected, the final rule is very similar to the proposed regulation announced more than a year ago. It will allow planned fiduciaries and investment professionals to once again have meaningful conversations about ESG investments in retirement plans. I'm speaking today with Bradford Campbell, a nationally recognized expert on employer-sponsored retirement plan. Brad is a partner and employee benefits attorney for Fagri Drinker in Washington, D.C. He was Assistant Secretary for Employee Benefits Security of the U.S. Department of Labor during the George W. Bush administration and served as ERISA's primary regulatory and enforcement official. Brad, thanks for joining me today. So what exactly is in this final rule? And why is this an important milestone for retirement plan sponsors and investors? Well, Susan, thanks for having me. Uh, and as you said, the, the wait is finally over. We have this final regulation here. Uh, and the reason it's important is it lays out exactly whether and how fiduciaries can make investment decisions, including questions like, can we consider ESG factors? And how do we consider those factors? And, you know, despite the fact that we've talked about this a lot over the last, as you said, over the last two years, because there was a, another regulation that this is replacing and there's been a lot of debate about ESG investments, uh, even though we've talked about this a lot the last couple of years, the reality is the Labor Department first started issuing guidance on this back in 1994. Uh, and we really have almost 30 years of history to point to, that this regulation is really the pinnacle of. Um, and it's kind of a natural outgrowth of all of that history. So what it boils down to is uh, the final regulation uh, takes the position that really historically the department has taken on investment issues, which is you, the fiduciary of a plan, whether you're the fiduciary advisor or the plan committee responsible for making these decisions, you, the fiduciary, have to consider all the relevant factors in making an investment decision. And one of the relevant factors you may consider, you don't have to, you're not required to, but one of the factors you may consider are ESG factors, environmental, social governance factors, uh, where you determine they're relevant. Uh, and you determine they're relevant by looking at uh, their impact over the expected time horizon uh, for this investment and how it fits into the portfolio. And the reason this final regulation is significant is rather than having the government take a advocacy position either for ESG or against it, and that's what we kind of have seen the last couple of years, you know, one administration liked ESG, the other administration had some concerns about it. What this rule really does is it says, hey, rather than the government telling us what to do, we're going to tell you fiduciaries to make up your own minds based on the relevant factors. And you may consider this as a relevant factor, uh, or you may not, depending on how you analyze those investments. And that's a really helpful uh, approach because it means that fiduciaries are making these decisions uh, where it makes sense to include these factors. And I think one thing that's important for the audience to understand is there are, of course, uh, goals here in ERISA. Your goal is to manage these assets to provide for the economic and retirement security of the participants. 
And that means the end goal of the investment has to be to try to make money. Uh, so the DOL, for example, in this final rule says you cannot intentionally sacrifice returns. You can't intentionally increase risks to achieve collateral objectives. So when you invest in ESG-related funds, you're doing so because you believe they're going to have an economic benefit for the plan, not just because they're ESG funds. And I think that's one of the big differences with the ERISA set of rules is there's this overriding fiduciary obligation to try to make investment decisions based on the economic needs of the participants. But this rule clarifies that in doing so, you can consider ESG factors uh, and makes it possible for, the, for fiduciaries really to settle this issue and move forward. Thank you for that explanation. Um, it really does seem like this proposed regulation is going to help clear up any uncertainty for ERISA plan fiduciaries. And after reading the rule, it seems one way they've done that is to really neutralize the language. Um, what do you think about that, Brad? That, that's a really good point. Uh, the, the Biden administration, in a proposed rule, they still had a thumb on the scale uh, in favor of ESG. There was still a little politics going on. And that thumb on the scale didn't mandate ESG, but it said in the proposal that prudence may often require consideration of ESG. And it gave some examples of ESG factors. Um, I think a lot of folks commenting on the rule said, you know, hey, that's not traditionally how ERISA works. ERISA traditionally is pretty neutral in this sense. It lets fiduciaries make these decisions. And to its credit, the Biden administration really kind of depoliticized some of this. The, the final rule is very neutral. It simply says fiduciaries may consider ESG factors. It took out the language that says prudence may often require consideration. It took out the examples that were in the proposal so that it's no longer ESG is important and you really ought to look at it. It's now, hey, you, the fiduciary, may consider all relevant factors, and that can include ESG, as you determine is prudent. Yeah, I really think that's great, because as you mentioned um, a couple times, that we, we know ESG is a political hot potato right now um, from one party to another, but um, it seems that this regulation has really tried to neutralize the politics that has been embedded within ESG. Yeah, I think this regulation is really consistent with the history of this issue uh, and with the history of ERISA. The government, as a general matter, has put very few restrictions on how ERISA plans may invest, instead emphasizing that the duty is on fiduciaries to be prudent, to do the right thing for their participants, to abide by their legal obligations. And that's allowed ERISA to be very flexible. You know, the world is a very different place for retirement plan investing now than it was in 1974 when ERISA was passed, or in 1978 when the original uh, regulation governing investment selection was put in place. The reason we've been able to uh, adapt with the times is that the rules are flexible, and this rule is consistent with that. It lets fiduciaries make decisions rather than dictating outcomes by the government. And in that sense, I think this rule is very neutral and is consistent with the history of ERISA regulation, not with some of the back and forth political wind. Yeah, and I also noticed that they took the word pecuniary and non-pecuniary out, which I was very thankful for. I felt like I had to keep on looking up the definition of that. Well, I was thankful for that as well, because uh, you know, the, the, the pecuniary test was a new creation in 2020 uh, adopted by the prior administration. And it wasn't just about ESG. It applied to any factor 
that a fiduciary would use to make an investment decision. And what that rule said, technically it took effect in 2021, but it, its its enforcement was immediately suspended and this rule now replaces it. But that pecuniary test was actually quite confusing for everyone because it would say, hey, when, when you as an investment professional advisor or, or investment committee member, when you're deciding, uh, let's say picking between you know, some mutual funds, you'd have to consider whether uh, past performance was a pecuniary factor. You'd have to consider whether the tenure of the investment manager was a pecuniary factor. We would have had to change the way we document all of our fiduciary decisions simply to comply with this new test that was created in 2020 that's not what has been part of ERISA. So separate from anything you might think about ESG, getting rid of the pecuniary test to revert to the traditional consideration of all relevant factors test is the right answer for the department. Uh, and so that's a very helpful change. Great. Can you speak now to how they clarified uh, what you can use in core funds like in, in default funds and QDIAs? Yeah, so one of the other changes that was in the 2020 rule was it, it really became quite difficult to understand when you could select an investment as a qualified default uh, alternative. In other words, an investment for use with automatic enrollment and auto escalation provisions that are now very common in plans and are really working well. Uh, the, the 2020 regulation made it really difficult to know whether your QDIA that you picked was appropriate because it wasn't allowed to have sort of any collateral factors. Uh, the language was a little fuzzy, but it really raised some questions. The new regulation clarifies this. It says, ESG or not, the normal QDIA rules apply. So whether your fund has ESG-related factors or not, it's eligible to be a QDIA. The issue is, is it a prudent investment? Did you go through your normal, prudent, thorough, well-documented process to pick an investment that's consistent with the QDIA regulations? ESG is no different than any other investment. And I think that is the right answer. The, the QDIA issues were addressed by the QDIA regulation, uh, which, you know, in, in fairness of disclosure, is a regulation uh, that I promulgated while I was at the agency. Uh, so that's that addresses those issues. This rule uh, basically just says, look to QDIA regulation for any of those issues. ESG is no different than anything else. Okay, great. And what about the tiebreaker test? Any changes there? You know, not really significant. Uh, the concept of the, the so-called tiebreaker has been around for a while. It goes back to some of the original uh, guidance DOL put out in the 90s. It's consistent with guidance that I put out in the Bush administration. It's consistent with what the Obama administration put out. And in fact, with early guidance from the Trump administration. And what it basically says is, if you're looking at uh, multiple investments that have made it through your investment screens, in other words, you've already determined that these investments are prudent. ERISA doesn't give you a normal tiebreaker test, right? And there often isn't one right answer. I mean, if I'm screening for funds that are going to fit a particular niche in my portfolio, it's not uncommon that I'm going to have several different funds make it through uh, and be, in, in essence, prudent. So what this rule says, as kind of consistent with past guidance is, though they use slightly different words, uh, the words in the final rule are, if these investments would equally serve the financial interests uh, of the plan, then you can use what they call a collateral benefit to break the tie. That is something other than those pure economic factors. 
And the reason is because there is, really isn't any other guidance on breaking ties. ERISA doesn't provide for a single answer or a tie-breaking answer. What they're saying, in essence, is if investments are, are equally serving the interest, in other words, if they're all prudent, then you could use ESG factors or you could use other collateral factors to decide which of several equal in investments you could choose. What's different with this final rule compared to, say, the 2020 rule and some other things people have said in the past is that it's equally serving the interests, not that the investments themselves are identical. And that's an important distinction. I think as any investment professional knows, you know, anytime you're recommending investments, you're, you're comparing little differences between very similar products, but none of them are necessarily identical. So the notion that two investments need to be identical before you can break a tie with, with a collateral factor uh, is dispelled by this. The final rule says they have to equally serve the interests of the plan, not that the investments themselves have to be identical. And so I think that's a, a good place for them to come out. And it's consistent with what's been said really for the last 30 years. Okay. And then are there any new provisions that uh, the investment professionals listening to this podcast might want to know about? Yeah, um, one of the most interesting provisions is actually a new one that wasn't in the proposal, and, and it addresses a question that we've been getting uh, in our practice from our clients for a while, which is, you know, hey, I've got participants who call me up and they say, I, I, I want ESG or I want some other type of investment. Why doesn't our plan let us do X? Uh, and what this regulation says uh, specifically is that the fiduciary does not violate the duty of loyalty as a fiduciary because the fiduciary takes into account participants' preferences in a prudent manner. So that specifically, for the first time, puts in the regulation that fiduciaries may consider participant preferences. Now, DOL has said that in guidance here and there before, but this is the first time it's been in a regulation, and it wasn't in the proposal. So I think uh, folks are going to be looking at that saying, okay, we know we as fiduciaries can take into account their preferences. Uh, a question going forward, I think, is going to be, well, how do we do that? Should we consider surveying folks? Is it enough to respond to those questions? It clearly does not say you have to take those into account. It's not as though someone says, hey, I want to have the XYZ fund and you have to do it. Uh, it's, it's just saying, hey, if you have a bunch of participants who are interested in particular types of products, you could determine, and, and DOL lays this out in some more detail in the preamble, which is where they explain, you know, it's the text that accompanies the actual rule that explains why they did what they did. In that text, they say, you know, there are reasons participants may choose to invest or not. And if, for example, accommodating those participant preferences is going to encourage more people to participate or it's going to encourage them to participate at a higher level, then fiduciaries should be able to take that into account and, and use that to help design the portfolio, to design the investment menu. Uh, and so, for example, there are studies that suggest that participants are very interested in ESG and you know, that a number of participants would be more likely to participate if their plan had ESG-related options. Um, so DOL is giving a nod to that and saying you can take that into account. But I think we're going to have more guidance down the road, more questions coming up as to exactly how to wrap that into the process. But it, it was definitely a new and interesting wrinkle in this final rule. 
Yeah, the um, the Texas Investment Managers actually did a survey of U.S. defined contribution plan participants, and our survey showed that participants are asking for ESG investments, and that 61% of workers said they would be more likely to contribute or increase contributions to their workplace retirement savings plans if they knew their investments were doing social good. So we would agree with that. Yeah, and in essence, that's 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 consistent with what DOL was saying in the preamble. So yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting change we'll be looking at uh, for a variety of purposes down the road. Uh, and it also raises questions about you know the plan menu and the ability to use brokerage windows and, and a variety of ways to address this. So, so I think this is going to help with a kind of a robust discussion of, of how do fiduciaries consider these issues. And it gives some new tools uh, to fiduciaries to make those choices. You know, I, I think one thing that is important to reiterate, because DOL puts this several times in the regulatory text, is again, our, our goal as ERISA fiduciaries is to provide retirement benefits. And so we can consider ESG as is appropriate and prudent for the plan. And I think there are increasingly opportunities in the marketplace, investments that do that, that are designed for use by ERISA plans. Uh, but what you can't do are, are pick investments that are going to sacrifice returns or that are going to increase risks. You as a fiduciary cannot do that. So DOL was very clear that where uh, ESG factors are relevant, where they're helpful to the plan, they can be considered uh, but that goal is still, as always, to provide for the economic interest of the participants. Yeah, that is definitely worth repeating over and over and should be the mantra that you cannot sacrifice investor returns for collateral goals. So just to wrap this section up, uh, Brad, what is the timing of this regulation? When will it go into effect? Well, the department released the text of the final rule before it was actually published. So as of the time you and I are talking today, they've not yet published it in the Federal Register, but that's likely to happen very soon uh, here, you know, certainly by early December. Uh, and the rule goes into effect 60 days after that. So here's the easy way to think of it since we don't know the exact date it'll be published. Uh, by March 1st, this rule should be fully in effect uh, unless something very bizarre happens and the publication is delayed. But basically by March 1, we should have this rule fully in effect. Excellent. Well, that was an excellent overview of this new rule. Um, and hopefully the rule in general will help to clear up a lot of confusion. But let's talk about some of the ways this may affect planned fiduciaries. Well, you know, I think one of the uh, obvious questions is, in light of the new provisions related to participant choices, is this something that uh, fiduciaries think their participants are interested in? Have they been getting questions about it? Is this something that um, they want to be considering? Um, the other question is, do you know what investments are reasonably available to you? One of the obligations under this is to say, I am considering the investments I'm selecting in light of the other options reasonably available to me and their risk and return characteristics. So that doesn't mean you have to do a detailed analysis of every single investment available, say, on your record keeping platform to the plan, but you do have to do a, a, a consideration of the investments that are available in making those choices. And so as a result, if you have, for example, ESG uh, related investments available on your platform, uh, I think it would be reasonable to conclude a fiduciary should take those into account. Uh, doesn't mean they have to pick them, but excluding them without considering them at all, I think in light of this regulation, would put a fiduciary in a position of saying, well, why did you exclude all those investments without even considering them? 
it's kind of the flip side of the other problem, which would be, I only want to invest in ESG investments. Well, that's probably not the right fiduciary answer either, because you've excluded a significant portion of the available investments without evaluating them. So to my mind, I think one of the short-term outcomes for fiduciaries is to think about of the investments available to us, are we looking at a reasonable mix of all those? Are we including ESG and non-ESG in our screening processes so that uh, prudent investments can will out? If we're just starting out saying, well, we're not going to consider X, and X is a big swath of the available investments, that's potentially a questionable fiduciary decision just because you don't know what you're excluding because you haven't evaluated. This looks like it may be a good time to determine how participant preferences may be incorporated and to even review investment policy statements to see if they need to be updated. Well, that's absolutely true. Uh, I think the investment policy statements adopted by most plans I've seen to date haven't usually addressed ESG specifically, but if they do, that's certainly something you need to review to make sure it's consistent with this final rule. Uh, which, you know, again, will be going into effect, you know, by, by March. Um, so you might want to review your, your investment policy statements. Whether your investment policy statement needs to affirmatively address ESG, I think is more a matter of personal choice um, in, in terms of whether you want your plan to have a specific policy. Uh, the way this rule is written, because it is a neutral rule with respect to ESG factors, treating them like any other factors, um, it, it may not be necessary to include ESG-related language. But if you have ESG-related language, you definitely should review it to make sure that it's appropriate. So for example, if your investment policy statement said you were not going to consider ESG, I think that's something you should consider revising in light of this rule expressly saying that you may. Well, that was that was great. Do you have any final thoughts, Brad? Yeah, you know, I, I just have to say I was uh, sort of pleasantly surprised at how neutral ultimately this final rule is. You know, it, it kind of cut through some of the political noise and really is consistent with the sort of traditions of ERISA in how fiduciaries make decisions and restoring the authority to make these decisions to fiduciaries. So I, I really feel like uh, DOL actually put out a rule that's, you know, that, that follows the right policy. It gives fiduciaries the tools to make these decisions, and it lets them make the decisions based on the particular facts and circumstances of a plan, rather than trying to say from Washington, hey, here's what you should do, or here's what you shouldn't. Uh, and so I, I feel like, and you know, for a former Republican appointee, I suppose it's a little unusual for me to be praising the Biden administration, but I, I do have to say, I think this rule uh, is really in, in the right place from the, the history of ERISA regulation. Well, Brad, thanks so much. Uh, we really appreciate your expertise and insight. And I just think you did an amazing job at explaining and summarizing what is in this new uh, regulation. Well, thanks, Susan. I appreciate the chance to be here. And uh, obviously, as people are, are contending with the new regulations and making these decisions in 2023, uh, we're, we're looking forward to helping our clients get to where they need to be. So they're both doing the right thing for their participants and of course, meeting all the legal requirements. Well, at Natixis, we believe that assessing environmental, social and governance factors can help identify investment opportunities as well as risks consistent with fiduciary standards. Our target date fund series, the Natixis Sustainable Futures Funds, now have a five-year track record and were designed as a potential default investment option or QDIA for retirement plans. 
To learn more, visit our website at im.natixis.com to read our paper summarizing the rule and suggested action steps. You can also contact your Natixis Retirement Specialist or call our team at 800-862-4863. And again, listeners, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and attention to this very important new regulation. Important information. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.natixis.com or call 800-225-5478 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. For listeners outside the United States, Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcast disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult imnatixis.com slash intl slash podcasts and other media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis investment managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis investment managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis, such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products, provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, MA02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker, dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Manager Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. LLC Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC Ad Tracks, 5077137, 1, 1, expiration date, June 30, 2023, POD 4 December 3, 2022.